Well, um, if you weren't able to join us last week, uh, we uh, have started throughout the next few months, we're going to be focusing on the Gospel of Luke. It's the Gospel that's featured in the cycle three, a C, of the lectionary. Uh, And so we're going to be looking at Luke's Gospel kind of step by step throughout the Gospel over the next couple of months. And so uh, you've heard the Scripture read this morning about Jesus being in the temple, and the title of the sermon today is, I Must, I Must. Did you know that if you were an adult Jewish male and you lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem, the Jewish law required you to go to Jerusalem every year, among other things, for the Passover festival? And even if you didn't live within 15 miles of Jerusalem, there was the expectation that you would go at least once and make that journey to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Now Joseph and Mary live in Nazareth, and according to Google, that's about 64 miles. So they didn't have to go to Jerusalem every single year to observe and celebrate Passover, and yet the Scripture lesson this morning says that that's exactly what they did. That every single year, Joseph and his family made the journey to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. It speaks again, as we've already seen in Luke's Gospel, just how committed and devout they are in practicing their faith. That they've made that journey to Jerusalem. And we're told that in this particular journey to Jerusalem that was highlighted in our Scripture this morning, that Jesus was 12 years old. 12 years old. And so after the seven-day celebration, Mary and Joseph begin their journey back home to Nazareth. And they assume that Jesus is with them. I mean probably because they're traveling in a really large caravan of people. And a lot of the people that would have been in that caravan were friends and family members of Mary and Joseph. And they just assumed that that Jesus was somewhere with some of the family or friends. And they travel an entire day's journey to the place where they're going to camp for the night when this conversation likely takes place. I thought He was with you! Well, I thought He was with you! And then they begin to go and ask all of their family and friends, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? And nobody has seen Jesus. And so... Joseph and Mary decide, we've got to go back to Jerusalem. We've got to find our son. And so they begin to make the journey back to Jerusalem. And as they're going to Jerusalem, there's probably still throngs of other people who are leaving Jerusalem to go back to their home. And so can't you imagine that as they're walking to Jerusalem and as people are leaving Jerusalem, every time that Mary and Joseph see a group of children walking together and playing together, they're running up to them hoping that they'll find their own child, Jesus, with those other kids. But they don't. Scripture says that they end up searching for Jesus for three days. And when they finally find Jesus, guess where He is? He's in the temple courts. 
A few weeks ago, it was a Wednesday night, it was right before we'd started taking up money for the meal, and so there's really not a lot to do. People are just kind of milling around in the narthex, and so I was standing at one end of the hall, and I just happened to observe two of our youth, two boys uh, that had their backs to me. They had no idea that the senior pastor had his eye on them. And they were walking around testing all of the locks to all of the doors in our church. And when they would find one that was open, and some of them were open because we were going to be having classes in those rooms in in a few moments, they would open the door and they'd kind of walk in and they'd just kind of look around and see what they could see, just kind of checking everything else out, and then they'd close the door and they'd go to the next door and they'd try to open it. Now, I don't think that they were up to anything sinister. I'm not trying to get anybody's kids in trouble. It was just an observation. But I figured, you know what? These youth may have been a part of this church for their entire lives, but they've probably never been in half the rooms because we keep them all locked. And so they probably are just wandering around, seeing what they could see, checking things out. And I think that's really what they were doing. And I can't help but wonder if Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, might have been doing the same thing. Here He is in Jerusalem. He's all by Himself. He's just kind of walking around, checking things out, maybe looking for His parents. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks up on the temple. And I can imagine a 12-year-old Jesus saying, well, I'm going to go in here and start testing doors to see if any of them are unlocked. I want to see what I can see. I want to check things out. I want to know everything there is to know about this big old building and, and what it holds. And I wonder if that's what happened. Maybe Jesus was going there with great intentionality. Maybe He knew where He was going and He knew why He was going to go. But I could just picture a 12-year-old just being curious. Big church, just kind of checking it all out. We're told that eventually Jesus walks up on a group of the Sanhedrin. They're some of the religious leaders of the day. And it was a tradition in Passover festival for the Sanhedrin to get together and to consider questions about religion and theology and and faith. and, and, And they would entertain these questions and then they would seek to respond to those questions. And the questions themselves didn't just come from members of the Sanhedrin. Anybody could ask a question. And so there was probably a really large crowd of people gathered there to listen to these questions being asked about theology and faith and, and, and then listening to the answers. We don't know if Jesus went there with great intentionality or if He just kind of showed up and began to listen and participate. But what we do know is that Luke tells us that everybody there was amazed at Jesus. Maybe they were amazed because Jesus just asked great questions. I mean, we all know people that ask ridiculous questions, right? But sometimes there's these people that have a knack for getting to the essence of something. And they just know how to ask these wonderful, perfect questions that allow someone who knows something and is passionate about something to just speak to it at length in a way that they hadn't anticipated or planned to speak 
but because they were asked a great question, it opened the door of opportunity for a conversation. And so maybe they were amazed because Jesus was just one of those people that just just knew how to ask great questions. Or maybe they were impressed with Jesus and amazed at Jesus because of the depth of understanding that He had for their answers. Maybe, you know, there are people that, that, that share something with us and there might be two people listening to someone talk and one of them thinks, wow, thank you for stating that so clearly and making it clear as day for me. That was really, really helpful. And then the other person was like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. That was as clear as mud to me. Maybe Jesus was just one of those people that, that just got it. And when he heard the Sanhedrin uh, respond to questions, when he heard the conversation that was taking place, maybe people were just impressed with the depth of his understanding. Or maybe they were amazed and impressed with Jesus because of the things he was saying in response to the questions and the other conversation was taking place. Maybe they looked at Jesus and said, how does this little kid know so much about our faith, so much about theology, so much about God? Maybe they were just blown away that this young boy had such maturity and such a grasp of the, of the material, of the, of the topic. Maybe that's why they were amazed and impressed with Jesus. But I bet this is true. When Mary and Joseph finally find Jesus in the temple courts after searching for Him for three days, they're probably not all that impressed with His theological understanding, His ability to have a good religious conversation. They are absolutely beside themselves because they've been looking for this child for three days. And Mary walks up to Jesus and she says, what have you been doing to us? Why why did you treat us this way? Don't you know that we've been worried, we've been anxiously searching for you for three days? And Jesus responds to Mary's question and comment with two questions of His own. And the first question suggests that He's surprised that they're worried about Him in the first place. I mean, it's like, well, you know... don't you think I can take care of myself? Don't you think I know? Don't you think I can, uh, that I, I, I can do this and be okay? I mean, have you ever known a 12-year-old that thought they knew it all? Have you ever known a 12-year-old that thought that they ought to be able to make their own decisions and do what they want to do and say what they want to say and go where they want to go? So Jesus' first question sort of suggests that. Why? I don't even understand why you're worried about me. But it's a second question that really sort of captured my attention as I was wrestling with the text in preparation for preaching today. Because it's that second question that sort of hints at this um, necessity that Jesus is who He is. It's this, it gives us a clue into what He feels like God wants Him to do. And His question is, did you not know that I must be in my Father's house. Or perhaps your translation of the Bible might read, did you not know that I must be about my Father's business? It's as if Jesus knew 
He was beginning to understand what it is that God had created him to do. What God had created him to be. It's as if he's beginning to grasp his purpose, God's plan, God's desire for his life. And in that moment, he knew that part of God's plan and purpose for his life is that he must be in his Father's house. Now, I want to suggest to you that it is unlikely that Jesus understood everything about what God had created him to be or what God had created him to do. I would suggest to you that Jesus, as a 12 year old boy, is no different than you and I when we were 12 years old and even younger. Our whole childhood and our whole youth and even our whole young adulthood is about this process of discovery where we're just trying to figure out what is it that God created me to be? What is it that God is calling me to do? And I want to suggest to you that Jesus probably didn't have, at the age of 12, a complete and full understanding of everything that God wanted Him to do or that God wanted Him to be. But something's happening here. And even though he didn't know everything in all likelihood about what God wanted him to do and what God wanted him to be, he knew in this moment that there was one thing that he must do. I must be in my Father's house. I want to pause here. And I want to say a word about a parallel to something that we do here in our church and that many churches and many denominations do throughout the world. And I want to talk a little bit about confirmation. You know, confirmation in many ways sort of mirrors what's happening here in the text with Jesus. We invite young people that are 12 or 13 years of age to come together where they can ask questions about faith and theology and God. And we invite them to ask those questions and to share their responses to those questions. What do they think about theology? What do they think about God and faith and religion? And we place adults in their lives that are more spiritually mature and spiritually grounded so that they can ask these questions of them and hear their responses so that they can begin and continue the process of discovery, trying to figure out who it is that God has created them to be and what it is that God is calling them to do. And we don't expect them to know everything about God or faith or theology in that moment. And we don't expect them to learn to know it when the classes are over with. What we're hoping for our confirmands is that the confirmation experience is just one more piece in the discovery process. And they may not know everything about what it is that God's calling them to do, or where it is that God is calling them to go, or what it is that God is calling them to be. But we hope and we pray that they know enough that they want to know more. We hope and pray that it's that beginning of the moment where they said, I don't understand everything, but there are a few things that I'm now beginning to realize that I must do as a child of God. And so I think that there's this parallel taking place here. Jesus, I suspect, didn't know everything about what would transpire in His life from the time He was 12 
until the time He ascended back into heaven. But in that moment, Jesus knew that I must be in my Father's house. And so then if you go and you continue to read through the Gospel of Luke and all the Gospels for that matter, you begin to see that as Jesus continues to grow into a a man, that He begins to understand more and more and begins to articulate more and more the things that He must do. I just kind of pulled some out of the Gospel of Luke just so that we could see how it is that He's growing in His understanding of who God created Him to be and what God is calling Him to do. And and if you look in Luke chapter 4, you'll see that it says that Jesus said, I must proclaim, I must proclaim the good news to other cities. Translation, Jesus was the first United Methodist pastor, right? He was an itinerating pastor. He didn't stay in one place for very long. He would come to a city and spend some time there, but then he'd go on to the next city and the next city and the next city. It's as if Jesus knew that the world was His parish. He said, I must go and share the good news of God's love with people in other places, with people who don't look like us, with people who don't worship like us, with people who don't think like us. I must go and proclaim the good news in other places. Then in Luke chapter 9, he says, I must, I must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the scribes and the Pharisees and the elders and then be crucified. And on the third day, raised from the dead. I don't think Jesus knew when He was 12 that that's where His life was headed. But at some point along the way, as He continued the process of learning who it is that God called and created and gifted me to be, what God's plan and purpose for my life is, He understood that I must do this. In Luke chapter 11, he says, Woe to you, you Pharisees! You tithe rue, you tithe mint, you tithe herbs, but you neglect two very important things. You neglect justice and you neglect the love of God. And both of those things are the things that you must be attentive to. Jesus Himself then was not only about proclaiming the good news of God's love and ushering in a reign of justice, God's reign in the world, but Jesus suggests that for all of us religious folks like the Pharisees, that we must not neglect justice and the love of God ourselves. Then in Luke chapter 17, He again says, I must endure suffering and be rejected by this generation. At some point along the way, Jesus knew that He must suffer for the redemptive work of God to come to pass. And then in Luke chapter 22, He says, the Scripture must be fulfilled in Me. And it is. It is. I want to suggest to you that Jesus grew throughout His life in His understanding, God's plan for it, God's purpose for it, God's desire for it. 
And I want to suggest to you that the same is true for us. The interesting thing that I see in this text about uh, Jesus is that there's no question that He understood that His life was to be shaped and molded by His earthly parents. But even more importantly, Jesus began to understand that His heavenly Father was also shaping and molding His life. That is, that God had a plan and a purpose for His life and that He wanted to live into that plan and He wanted to do what it was that God called Him to do. And what this text illustrates for us is that sometimes when we're seeking to be the persons that God is calling us to be, that God has created us to be, that sometimes that puts us in conflict and in tension with other people, sometimes even our own family. At 12 years of old, Jesus knew that I must be in my Father's house. But His parents didn't understand that at all. It created a tension and a conflict for them. Apparently, the angel visited Mary and Joseph and told them that you're about to give birth to Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. But then the angel didn't keep coming back to them and saying, hey, heads up, next week Jesus is sort of going to start picking up on this idea that He needs to be in His Father's house. So heads up for that. It's going to happen. Just wait on it. Wait on it. It's going to happen. They had no clue. If they'd had a clue, that would have been the first place they would have gone to look for Jesus. If they'd had seen it coming, they would have gone first to the temple courts to find the child. But they didn't understand. They didn't understand what it was that God was doing in Jesus' life and completely, fully. And so it created tension for them. Conflict. And the same thing might very well happen to us. As we truly seek to understand what it is that God is calling us to do as individuals, as we truly seek to understand what God is calling us to do and be as a church, many, many times, that will put us in conflict and in tension with the world around us. And Jesus, if you see here, He didn't dishonor His earthly parents. In fact, it says that He went and was obedient to them. But He always kept His eye on being the person that God was calling Him to be. The person that God had created Him to be. And so the question that I have for us this morning is what is it do we think that we must do? Who is it that God has created us to be? Who is it that God... What is it that God is calling us to do? And we can think about it on that individual level, but let's think about it on the corporate level too, is the church. What is it that our church must do? What is it that our church is calling us to be? I think those are important questions for all of us to wrestle with, not only individually, but corporately as a church. 
And as we wrestle with those questions, there's a couple of clues about how we might wrestle with those questions that are in this passage this morning. And one of them is that Jesus, He might not have understood everything, but He knew that I must be in my Father's house. And as we begin to wrestle with what is it that God is calling us to do, what is it that God has created us to do as individuals and a church, then why don't we consider doing what Jesus did? Surround ourselves with theologically grounded and mature people. Ask some important and sometimes very, very difficult questions. And listen as people share their responses, their answers to those questions. To just really wrestle with the the questions of theology and faith and, and religious life. I wonder if we made a place and a space for that in our lives, would it help us to more clearly understand what is it that we must do as individuals and as a church? So I would encourage you, if you're not in a small group, that you consider joining one whether it be on Sunday morning or many of the others that we offer throughout the week, as a way of aiding you in the process of discovery. Who is it that God's calling me to be? What is it that God's calling me to do? And what is God calling and creating our church to be and to do? And may we grow in wisdom and grow in years just like Jesus did. Would you pray with me? Good morning, God. I pray that in this very moment that You are stirring our minds and our hearts. to faithfully and honestly consider what is it that we must do as a church and as individuals. Help us to realize that these questions are part of a process that goes throughout our lives and that we never really fully arrive at a complete understanding of that. But that we continue to open ourselves up to how You would shape us and mold us and guide us and direct us. There are things, O God, that You desire for us to do. Give us the grace to seek those answers. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.